Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer incentive offers. 15,178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xE and Summit 4xE models in dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark. Blog Talk Radio. From Washington, D.C., this is CARE Alive. Each week, we bring you some of the best conversations, interviews, news, and politics here on CARE Alive. To hear the show live, check us out each Wednesday at 9 p.m. Eastern or listen on the go by downloading this podcast from iTunes. Welcome to Kara Live. This is Kara Pearson. Today is Wednesday, May 7, 2008, and got two things on tap. The first is uh, this week we want to talk about the uh, yesterday's election real brief, and then we have an interview with Cedric Maxwell, color analyst of the Boston Celtics. Um, first up, though, the election. Yesterday, Barack Obama won by 14% in North Carolina, uh, a margin that was way surpassed what was expected. And in Indiana, although Hillary won, Hillary was expected to win by an extreme large margin, maybe the 14%, but it was pulled by a narrow margin of only 2%. Go figure. The pundits had it wrong. Um, it appears that the Jeremiah Wright, the um, uh, bitter comments did not have the effect that the Clinton campaign was expecting. The question, I guess, that is out there now is, what is Hillary Clinton going to do? And the reason it is so uh, um resounding is because if you do the math for uh, as far as delegate counts, vote count, popular vote, superdelegates, well, he doesn't have a pastor yet in superdelegates, but there are some superdelegates that have swung his way and have switched within the last two weeks. But if you look at the count, Hillary will, and the math, there's no way, even if they go through all the, the remaining um, primaries, that she will win. So, and the fact that she also is running out of money. Uh, I understand I heard today that she loaned her campaign, I think, another six, $6.4 million within the last couple of weeks. And um, I'm not sure how she's going to survive um, she's not winning. So, I, again, as I was saying last week, I'm still trying to figure out what her strategy is. Um, I, I, I can't imagine what it could be. And I can't imagine, I heard a pundit say, that um, maybe she is 
setting herself up to be the uh, VP on um, Obama's ticket. But as I've said in weeks past, I can't see him picking her as a VP. I, I don't think he necessarily needs her as she would have needed him. But um, I, I think since his campaign has been run on the platform of uh, change, there's just no way he could pick her and still say that I'm about change, especially if she if something were to happen to him, she would be the next in line to be president. And I'm not sure a lot of people are um, um, would like that, especially those that have been supporting him all along. But again, you know the um, the results were 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 expected, but then again, surprising, especially in Indiana. Um, as you all know, feel free to give us a call at 347-945-7415. Again, the number is 347-945-7415. And oh, one other thing I wanted to to note as far as that's concerned, I'm really glad. I know a lot of I got a lot of emails and even personal calls regarding uh, the Jeremiah Wright incident and him being here in the Washington D.C. area last week on Monday. Uh, it appears that uh, in the last week he's been very silent, and uh, uh, I think a lot of us have applauded that the fact that he's he's been. But I, I don't think he had anticipated uh, the uproar of his comments um, that he made. And again, as, as I think I stated last week, as far as being on the script, he was great. He was fantastic. But once they did the Q&A uh, and he was off the script, um, it, little, it went a little haywire. And um, just a little... Um, upset that that he had came out. I, I thought the strategy was when he was on Bill Moyers to make himself look as if he was in a better light. But unfortunately, um, uh, after being on Bill Moyers, which was a great interview because it gave a lot of background in regards to him, but uh, again, coming off of that and, and making those personal appearances, um, it didn't help the cause. It didn't help uh, Obama's campaign at all. But um, after watching Obama's speech last night, um, it appears that he's got his swagger back. Um, he's ready to go. Um, he's fired up and ready to go, as the campaign says. And uh, I think he's on his way to being the presidential nominee for the Democratic Party. So looking forward to Denver, looking forward to uh, uh, that happening. Um, still don't know if uh, Hillary's going to continue. I understand that maybe she may go through the next primary, which would be West Virginia, and then Kentucky, and I think it's Montana or Oregon. But um once she goes through those particular two, my understanding is that she may gracefully bow out, at least that's what I heard in D.C. today, 
And um, if that's the case, we can move forward. I, I hope it's sooner than later because uh, uh, we really need to get ready as far as the Democratic Party is concerned for the election itself. And I've already saw and heard, I heard uh, Mitt Romney um, on early morning television um, uh, appears they already have their strategy against Obama and how they're going to run against Obama. They think at this point that he's the weakest candidate. I think him, Rush Limbaugh, and all those cats are wrong. Um, uh, I don't know if they're saying that because they want Hillary to run and they're hoping that voters would do the opposite or they actually really feel that way because of uh, Jeremiah Wright. But um, as far as that's concerned, I don't think that is is the case. Uh, they may have uh, more more to bank on um, as far as that's concerned. And um, I did hear something too. The other piece of the religion part that we've talked about before, in regards to McCain and his association with Hagee, um, I heard a I think it was on MSNBC. Um, as far as the double standard uh, and how the media has carried the Jeremiah Wright loop, loop after loop after loop, and um, haven't really addressed the comments that Hagee has made. And of course, McCain says his association with Hagee is different than um, Obama's was with uh, Wright because Wright was uh, Obama's minister. But the other thing I think that uh, the Democratic Party and Obama should um, state that when he says that there's a difference, the other difference is is that uh, McCain um, sought out the endorsement of Hagee. So he wanted that association and he wanted that endorsement, and he said he's not going to uh, relinquish that endorsement and that he's only rejecting uh, Hagee's comments and not the person himself. So, yeah, there is a double standard. Um, the media has carried it a lot different, and um, we'll see how that goes in regard after June. Um, and I say after June because um, at that point in time, the superdelegates should, as uh, Howard Dean has said, made their decision on um, uh, who the nominee is going to be definitely. So after June, uh, we'll see how and what the Republican Party or how their strategy and uh, ads are going to be in regards to um, Obama, if it's Obama, and the election itself. Anyway, as we move on, we have tonight, we have guest um, Cedric, and I, his middle name, his nickname is Maxwell, Cornbread Maxwell, uh, color analyst of the Boston Celtics. I'll uh, get him in on the conversation. Good afternoon, Mr. Maxwell, or evening at this point. Good evening. Welcome to Care Alive. Well, thank you for having me. Well, actually, I've had you before, but but not in this uh, particular type format, though. Um, as I was saying to the uh, listeners, uh, you are the current uh, color analyst for the Boston Celtics. You are a host with Celtics Television, is that correct? Yep, Celtics TV. And was the 1984 MVP 
for the NBA Finals. Yep. And I, if I, if I remember correctly, that was between the finals for Boston versus the Lakers. Would that be right? No, in that 84? would have been 84. It would have been like 81 I was the MVP finals. Oh, okay, okay. Wrong, and, wrong and year. It was, it, was, <laughs> it was me winning the – we won the championship in 81. Okay. I mean, 84, 84. Just like this. Let us start out. We'll talk about some uh, since you're you're a color analyst and you are um, uh, all about talk and and your comments are always critiqued. You know, mm-hmm. I wanna, you want to give you a chance to with, before we get into this season and what's going on with the players this particular season. Talk about uh, some comments that you've made that you've been um, lashed out about. Last year at the, I think it was towards the end of the season, um, you were called a sexist, and you were called a sexist because of a comment that you had made over the radio, I think, in regards to the only female uh, referee in the league. Mm-hmm. And um, I think in in uh, in passing, you, you were saying something about she should, based on a call that she had made, she should go to the kitchen. Or, or be in the kitchen or something like that. Um, in, in regards to that, you know, uh, and I know you got a, a lot of uh, flack <laughs> for making that comment, but I don't know if you wanted to, you know, tell us, you know, exactly what you meant or, or what the gist of that was. Well, the gist of it basically was somebody else was, I was commenting about somebody else. Uh, the referee, female referee is Violet Palmer, the only black referee uh, woman referee in the league, and uh, she had made a call, and we've been talking about um, a particular guy on that works with us that didn't really like her, and we were laughing about it. And uh, when she made a call and, and mocking his voice, uh, making a joke, it was about Violet Palmer saying, "Ah, that was a horrible call. Go back to the kitchen and make me some bacon and eggs." Well, it wasn't construed to be, you know, anything racist gender bias, anything like that. It was just a uh, a joke that a blogger took. And if you heard the words, if you heard the way, if you heard it come out of my mouth, it was something that was crazy. But if you, you know, if you read it, you would think that I was a sexist. And I think that's the furthest thing I would be, having a couple of daughters. And the bigger thing than that, you know, I would never, ever get into a situation where a woman of color or anyone of color I would ever try to downgrade in any situation like that because I just know how hard it was for her to get into that, in, into that position of power uh, and being in the league. And that's interesting, and I, I just want to, uh, since this is online, you know, just let everybody know that they can go out and listen to the comments themselves. All they have to do is just Google it, and uh, they can actually find the actual um, audio for that so and make their own uh, determination on what they think and based on what you how you've addressed it to understand exactly what was meant what was said and and fast forwarding to um this season um you know the beginning of the season you guys uh acquired um Kevin Garnett and uh with that said uh with Kevin Garnett and um the three powerhouses that you guys have um, during going back to comments being made during media day, 
Um, there's a article in um, uh, what was it on uh, Boston.com, and they were talking about how you said um, when you were talking about the media day, you called it fraud day. What did you mean by that? Fraud day was basically about all the people who were there who hadn't been there in the last couple of years. <laughs> we had about 200 additional media people, uh, and you know, and not only was I calling the media fraud, everybody was there, but basically calling myself a fraud for being there <laughs> and celebrating the way we were. So it really wasn't anything that happened. I don't think anybody got upset by it. It was uh, it was tongue in cheek, and at best, if you did get a get upset about it, my God, you better be able to take a joke and lighten up. <laughs> so it's not that serious. <laughs> mm. <clears throat> I just wanted to start with those because I, I just want you to set the record straight and, and to be clear to the listeners exactly um, what you meant by those particular comments, unless someone well, called. Everything. Here's the basic thing. Anything that you say in the media today, if you have a blogger or have your own line. I mean, you you now have become your own news source. So right. if you want to take anything out of context, you're able to do that. And you don't have anybody there to, you know, tell you were wrong or, you know, several stories about things I said about uh, LeBron James having a Nike commercial, which came to life. He had a three-quarter court shot, and it was a fan of the Boston Celtics who said, I need to be more like another one of our television broadcasters, Tommy Heinsohn. And I need to, mm-hmm. you know, get in, get off the bandwagon and, and stop, you know, biting on LeBron. Well, first of all, I didn't even make the comment. It was my broadcast partner that talked about LeBron uh, making a Nike commercial come to life. So if you are in the media and if mm-hmm. you are in the public, uh, it is just one of those things that kind of goes along with the territory. Anything you say can be taken out of context and used in any way that somebody else wants to use it. Now, segue and moving into a whole different area and a whole different set of type of questions. Um, uh, going back to Kevin Garnett and Ray Allen and uh, Paul Pierce um, making the Celtics, actually basically what we're talking about as far as that media day, putting the Boston Celtics back on the map. And um, because, as you said, you know, it has been quiet for quite some time and, um uh, with those three being there, it has, um, uh, you know, increased the ticket sales, and not just with uh, in the garden, but also anywhere you guys travel. So you have, you know, you have a past with the Celtics, and, and you played with, um, you you were on the team of powerhouses, which was um, McHale, Bird, and Parrish. How would you compare? You know that that era with the era of the guys that are playing now, because well, I know that you, you travel with them. You know, as a media person now, what what would be the major difference that you would say? Well, it's a different era uh, altogether. I think that the guys, Kevin Garnett, uh, Paul Pierce. You think about those guys. Those guys are a lot more athletic, uh, you know, than than we were then during that particular era. Uh, the game has changed. Uh, for good and for bad. Uh, for the good part would be the fact they are a lot more athletic and able to jump higher and run faster and they're stronger. Uh, for the bad, just the basic knowledge of the game, uh, the nuances of the game, trying to find out 
how it's played, when it's played, and how you're supposed to make plays. Uh, There's something that the younger players still have not developed. Part of it because they don't have the experience, and part of it because you still have, you know, remnants of high schoolers which are in this league or young players who don't have the four four year experience of college. And I think really to polish and make them, you know, better around the player. So there's a lot of different uh, changes in, in, in personnel and the way you play. But the bottom line is that, you know, the, the game is going to be played by putting the ball in the hoop, and the Celtics have three dynamic players. And, and with that said, and you talking about the differences, <clears throat> on the outside looking in, you know, I would say and, and think that maybe one of the differences when you think about the attitude or, or the disposition and personalities of the players now, especially as far as the work ethic, when you have uh, Allen Iverson a few years ago when uh, Larry Brown was talking about practice, he, he's on uh, a press conference talking about it's just practice. Practice? What? Practice? Why is he so upset? It's just practice. So, you know, I'm, I'm just wondering is would you say or would you agree that that's um, part of the um, major uh, piece, too, you know, um, is the work ethic of the players. Well, I know. I don't really think it's that because I think for the most part, NBA players work hard, probably okay. harder now than they did during my particular era because now basketball is a 24-7 sport. Guys don't really have an off-season. They play all year long, be it the World Games, Olympics, all kinds of different uh-huh. settings, and getting in shape. Whereas during my particular era, we we played till June. We would, you know, we we won the championship. We we'd win, we'd celebrate, and you'd have at least three months off to let your body heal. I think one of the uh-huh. differences now, because guys play for twelve months out of the year, they have a tendency right now to break down because their bodies they never let their bodies recuperate uh, from all the work and all the tear and breaking things down. During the regular, during the uh, long period of of a uh, season. Oh, okay. I, I I see where you're going with that. And I actually hadn't even thought about the the fact that the uh, it's just not they just don't play just during the season itself. That you do have all these uh, all season activities that are going on, especially as it relates to playing the game. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it is, <clears throat> it is those things which is a continuous process now, which uh, kind of goes on and on and on and. The guys, uh, for the most part, are are there in the gym, and you see them working out, and lifting weights, and running, and they're staying in shape, you know, pretty much all year long. Where, where during my particular era, we gave like our, ourselves, we like we were kind of like, a, kind of like bears. We give ourselves about three months where we hibernated, let and pretty much put on some fat, and got ready <laughs> for the, the upcoming season. Start over and try to do it again, or do it all over again. That would be it. <laughs> um, fast forwarding into the season itself, you know, at the beginning of the season, as, you, as we were talking about earlier, um, you guys got these, this new team practically, and um, a lot of projections were being made at the beginning of the season. Um, people were predicting that uh, you guys are going to take it all the way and, and actually win the whole thing. But um, it was a great season not take anything away from that, but as we watch the uh, Atlanta Hawks game uh, series, you know, Atlanta being the eighth seed, you guys being the number one seed, um, they took you you guys all the way to the seventh game. 
Um, do you think that, um, uh, with that said, uh, that there, are, as, as far as the players that you guys have, is it just because they're a young team, or uh, what exactly happened? Well, first of all, you look at Atlanta Hawks right now. They're home. They're not playing anymore. And so that that would be the first break. They they they're not around. Uh, you know, close counts in horseshoes and uh nuclear war. When you tell me you want to get close. Uh yeah, Atlanta played a good game and I have friends there. Billy Knight that was a good friend of mine who just released was general manager, just uh resigned his position. Uh right. I have Mike Woodson is a friend of mine who's a head coach of Atlanta and they have some young players and they played well, but sometimes I think styles make fights. Uh, Atlanta was very athletic. They did a lot of things, and they probably played their best basketball. I mean, for the three games that they played in Atlanta, they played out of their minds. And the Celtics just for the, in the, in a couple of those games, it was just for the bounce of the ball that Atlanta was the better team. If you looked at it clearly, the Boston Celtics were the better team in three game in the four games they won in Boston. They won by an average of 24 points. So it was a, it was a close contest. In, in the number of games, but the mm-hmm. way the Celtics really dominated, if you look at the numbers, the Celtics were the dominant team. Okay, with that said, there's there's an article that was uh, posted uh, yesterday. The day's the 7th, right? Posted yesterday on sportingnews.com, and the uh, name of the article is Doubts Raised Over Celtics NBA Title Hopes, um, written by Sam Smith. And in the middle of the article, he says, but after needing seven games to put away the lowly Atlanta Hawks in the first round, the Celtics have shown that they are vulnerable. The question now is whether the whether Pierce and the rest of the team will run with Garnett or whether their second-round series against the Cleveland Cavaliers will ultimately prove Boston's undoing. He says some will say it's a good way to, good way to start waiting the Celtics from the from their revere of the last few weeks of the regular season as they ease into the postseason. His uh, question is, he says, can they win it all when their so-called big three have historically been playoff failures? Well, if you look at it this way, Kevin Garnett has been the MVP in the league. He got to the Western Conference Finals. Uh, Paul Pierce got uh, to the Eastern Conference Finals. Uh, so they have had opportunities. But the question I pose to you is, is Sam, is uh, is he playing? Is he the player? Is he a writer? Uh, I, I think you have to look at it and take it in context of how guys get on the court form. At the end of the day, you can the pundits can write all they want to. Just listen to your broadcast a little bit earlier. The pundits were about Barack Obama, what was going to happen. This is going to be this. It's, you know, You have to let things play out. And until they play out, you don't know. At the beginning of the year, no one picked the Celtics to win the championship. You know, if, if what the chemistry, from a chemistry standpoint, you say, okay, they are a team that, you know, has some, has some uh, quality players, but, you know, not being together, bringing three players together all at once, you think you have some chemistry in, uh, problems. So they have uh, uh, forged a great gap. They had a great season. And probably the biggest thing about it, the Boston Celtics were, for the most part, they were the best defensive club in the league. Now, Sam might not have told you this, but in the last five, last championships, the championships have been won, the team, mm-hmm. and this is the Boston Celtics, that, that holds the opposition 10 points less than they score, 
So Celtics score 102. The opposition scores 92. That team has gone on to win the championship each and every time. So you might want to get a little bit more clarification. Uh, he might want to give you a little bit more clarification on how the season is run and how things to play. It's about the players. It's not about the writers. <laughs> Well, then with that said, moving on. The uh, uh, Kobe Bryant won um, MVP. Do you think this going to be a Lakers versus Celtics final? Uh, and do you hope for that? Well, I think, I, I think it would be – I'm sorry. I was going to say one other thing. I think it would be good for the NBA. I think the NBA would love for it to be in that situation. But I think a lot has to be said right now. Chris Paul is going to have a, a lot to be to say about this. Chris Paul, the young, brilliant guard from New Orleans, uh, was to my uh, in, in my estimate, he was uh, the MVP of this league because he did less. He did more with less. If you look at Kevin Garnett, I think he had a great supporting cast. If you look at Kobe Bryant, a great supporting cast. But if you think about Chris Paul, the guys that he had on his team to forge them into a team that right now is on the verge of beating San Antonio, the world champions, the reigning world champions, that to me is, is breathtaking because you can't name, normally people can't name the five starters right now for for uh, the New Orleans Hornets where you can pretty much name those guys when you look at Boston or if you look at L.A. So a lot is going to be said and a lot is going to have to be done before, you know, the Lakers get there, the Celtics get there. Obviously, Detroit is going to be a tough way to go because I think Detroit, frankly to me, has more experience, championship experience, in Boston Celtics. So it's going to be a long, hard road to hoe. And uh, as much as the NBA probably would like it, I would like it, uh, there's a lot of uh, other teams that are going to be having some say-so about that. Okay. Um, and, and speaking of Detroit, and, and actually this happened at you guys' game too, I understand that there was a problem with the um, um, – was it the uh, – not this was it the scoreboard or the um... yeah actually it was the shot clock as Detroit was able to get off a, a shot it was a malfunction really uh, with the shot clock Detroit had I think 4.5 seconds on the clock they inbounded the ball took a couple of dribbles got the half court the clock went on then went off uh, gave them a second and a half more and Chauncey Billups drained a long three pointer which, uh, you know, the NBA has now pretty much said, look, it wasn't the right thing. It wasn't the right call. Uh, in my estimation, the NBA should have gone back and just re- just ran and took away that three-pointer and ran that play back because it really just penalized uh, uh, Orlando at the time. Right. But um, and, and speaking of that, didn't you guys have a similar situation in uh, Atlanta with the shot clock? Well, Atlanta's shot clock just went out. Uh, when your okay. shot clock goes out, what happens is that uh, they used to have floor models that they would bring out. Uh, when they did not have the floor models, what they did, they, they had the score, keep the time, and when the shot clock got down to 10 seconds, the uh, public address guy announced it, and he would count down. It was annoying, but he'd count down from, from 10 to 0. And when he got to zero, they actually blew a air horn, not the regular horn, because those uh, that wasn't working. And that was just in game. I think that was in game. I want to say that was game 
four in Atlanta. So it did not have as much to do as four or six it had in Atlanta, but it didn't have as much to do about the outcome of the game as maybe a right. basket by Johnson Phillips. All right. Okay, I see what you're saying. So it was not come. I, I, I saw some of that game, and I, um, I guess I had switched back when the it miraculously uh, came back in when I heard the announcer say something to the effect that um, based on what you were saying about the person having a countdown, that he wouldn't have to do that anymore. Mm-hmm. I, I just – and, and you're right, that was kind of annoying because I, I was just trying to figure out, too, to me it would kind of have an effect on the game, especially, you know, the players are so um, in tune, attuned to looking up for the shot clock and knowing exactly where they're at at all times and not, you know, having to concentrate or wait for somebody to say something, you know. Well, players, to, have, to me, would... of, players have a way of adjusting them, and they will okay. adjust almost to any situation that, and all they want in, in any kind of sport or any kind of game is they just want consistency. So if you, if you change those particular roles and now you got the shot clock not working and it might take the players one or two possessions to get used to it, but they'll get used to it and they'll find a way to, you know, go on and play and do what they need to do. Um, speaking of, you know, you were talking about um, Billy Knight resigning and, um, I think uh, Larry Brown was just hired by the Bobcats. Um, uh, what's his name? Avery Johnson was um, has left the Mavericks, and Pat Riley has left, has, has stepped down. Also, with all the changes in the um, the front office and the coaching staffs around the league, do you think it's going to change the game or affect any of these teams in the next season? Well, I think it will have two different ways. I think some of it's going to be positive because sometimes a new influence, a new voice has to be heard. Uh, no mm-hmm. different than when you get a new president of the United States or a new party that takes over. You know, there's mm-hmm. a new direction that has to come in. Uh, you've heard the old regime for about, you know, six years or five years or however long the coach has been there, sometimes three years. But the changes sometimes are good. Uh, players will adjust because they're going to play to whoever's there. Uh, but at the end of the day, it's about, in the NBA more than anything, it's about it's a player's league. The players pretty much control it. If you have great talent, and we've seen over and over again, normally the best player in the league is either going to be in the finals or he's going to win the championship. And that's happened to the NBA over the last couple of years. Tim Duncan has been one of the best players in the league. LeBron's been one of the best players in the league, been in the finals. Uh, they, these are just uh, – uh, that, that's what makes it a player's league, and, and the adjustment has to be more so on direction uh, of, uh, you know, sometimes of rules. I think that's how the coaches kind of affect who goes in and out. But players ultimately control the results of the game. Yeah, I was uh, really surprised when I heard that uh, Pat Riley was leaving. Um, actually, I'm a, a big fan of his – is he actually retiring from basketball altogether? I haven't heard any actually uh, a press conference or announcement from him in regards to what his status is or his future plans. No, I think or do you I, have you even heard? Well, what he did, he actually stepped down from his position as coach of the team. Now, mm-hmm. what he is, he's the president of uh, of basketball uh, of the team. So oh, okay. He still has he still has a lot of decisions that are, are there, and he has uh, uh, part, he's part owner of the Miami Heat. So 
Pat Riley still has a lot to do with, uh, you know, where this team is and how they're moving and what direction they're going in. Yeah, I, and I, that piece I wasn't aware of. Um, and, and one other person I wanted to ask about, too, um, Avery Johnson. You know, I've heard other shows talk about um, uh, Mark Cuban, you know, dismissing him from the team. And um, do you think that he will be able to bounce back uh, or come back as a coach? Well, I think he will. He was a very good coach. I think he got called up into kind of a, uh, a no-win situation. Jason Kidd, right. who, to me, in my opinion, is all is going to be a Hall of Famer, uh, came into the Mavericks from uh, New Jersey, and it wasn't a good fit. Uh, Jason Kidd was an older player. They were expecting him to run around with guys like Chris Paul and, and Jason Kidd, a young Jason Kidd, probably could have dominated and played well against these guys. But now with those uh, uh, young bucks out there, they were a little bit too quick for him, and the trade just was not a good trade. And, and at the end of the day, Avery Johnson suffered because of that, and, uh, you know, somebody else pulled the trigger, but ultimately the bullet hit Avery Johnson. Uh, on a higher note, you have know, talked about people leaving or, or resigning. Um, uh, Scott. Um, Byron Scott became the coach of the year um, by unanimous vote almost. Um, if you, I think uh, the coach of the Celtics actually received some nods also, Doc Rivers, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, you know, Byron Scott was very good this year. Uh, he, was, uh, he took a young basketball club, uh, again, that wasn't supposed to be making any kind of noise. Yeah, wasn't supposed to be making any kind of noise, and they made a, they made a good run. And when you make a good run, you know your 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 uh, fellow coaches and the people who vote sometimes get into a situation that uh, you know they they vote for you. And with his basketball club, the way they played, I think he was deservedly so. He was a guy who I I played against when he was with the Lakers. As uh, a very good basketball mind, some of the guys he. Uh, has Darrell Walker, another guy who was a good friend of mine, is on his coaching staff. So I, I understand that you know that now that what they've done in that city uh, before people talked about that franchise not being stable, but now they've been selling out in New Orleans and it's become uh, you know a darling of that particular city and not playing particularly well. So Byron Scott, I think, was a well-deserved uh, vote going to him for Coach of the Year. And that's interesting you say that because the uh, the last time I interviewed you a few years ago, we were talking about uh, the Hornets, and the Hornets actually had just left Charlotte. And um, and at that time, it, it was um, you, of course we couldn't predict the you know how successful or if they were going to be successful at that time, and and definitely based on how uh, they were being managed and the um, owner of the team, uh, Charlotte teams had a problem with um, that particular guy at the time. So, yeah, you, I, I have to agree with you. It, uh, that franchise has come a long way because um, at one point they were selling out in Charlotte and then ticket sales just dropped. Mm -hmm. And um, I think there was a big argument regarding um, um, building the new stadium. And ironically, uh, that stadium got built, but under, of course, a different regime, um, it being the, uh, the Bobcats. And segueing to the Bobcats, uh, Michael Jordan is in the Bobcats' office and, and just hired, we were talking earlier about hiring Larry 
Larry Brown. How do you see or, or do you think that it was a great move for the uh, the Bobcats? Mm-hmm. That was, I mean, it was it was a very good move for them um, in a situation where they were able to, you know, make some changes. They were able to play particularly well. Uh, but overall, you think about it, Larry Brown is a very good guy. He brings so much to the table. But at the same time, I think Michael Jordan understands that in Charlotte itself, Charlotte itself, it, it is one of those situations that, you know, this team right now has to perform at a higher level. Uh, Bob Johnson's there. There's been a lot of controversy uh, about having that particular team there, uh, first black owner in the NBA. Uh, so I, I think there have been a lot of different things. And probably the biggest mistake I think that they made wasn't about Bob Johnson getting the franchise because I think it was a good choice. But I think the biggest thing was they came in the league uh, a year too soon. Uh, they had an old arena that they played in outside the city and uh, they, they went back to that arena for their first year coming back into the league instead of waiting one year and letting the ghosts die a little bit more and separating themselves and then eventually going downtown where they had the new building. You you um, you think that that is part of the issue as far as um, their ticket sales and uh, how uh, people in Carolina accepted the team? because of the fact that uh, they needed to let the, the Hornets piece kind of fade out more? Yeah, they just didn't let it fade. They just didn't let it fade out fade out enough. Uh, you know, they, uh, you know, sometimes you get caught up in trying to get it back too soon and, yeah, get it back too soon, and then, you you know, you make a mistake of coming back the other other way. I think that's one of the things that come back. You, you understand that, you know, you want to be in a hurry to get back, but at the same time, there was no separation. And by not having separation, I think there was still a lot of anxiety, you know, about the coach, about the team, about the city. And, and frankly, people, you know, did not vote really to want that organization to come, yeah, to come right back and vote. They wanted, you know, to a lot of people voted against that. So it was kind of a crazy situation how it all kind of played out. Yeah, I uh, was in Charlotte at the time when the the team came came back into or when they acquired the um, Bobcats in Charlotte, and um, I was thinking maybe the reason that it was well, one, I didn't think Bob Johnson's uh, staff knew how to market and promote. You know, I think they thought it was just going to be instant, um, and they would have instant fans because you know Carolina is basketball country, and yeah. uh, they knew that the Hornets were selling out, and I think they were perplexed and dumbfounded when uh, the masses just didn't come to their games as they had anticipated. Well, and, I think uh, the product, I think you had the product that was not a good product. You had a lot of younger players. You did not establish any allegiance there at all. And when you didn't establish any allegiance, you find it a little bit harder to bring people back in the boat because they didn't have anything to connect with. Well, I, I, I think Bob Johnson being a businessman, I think all he looked at was the numbers. And I, he knew that when, uh, I can't remember the guy's name who owned the Hornets right right off now, but when he um, brought the Hornets into Charlotte, that automatically – Fans came to the arena in droves. They were selling out there from from game one for how many seasons? Ten seasons in a row. 
It was a double digit. Well, there was a situation there which was completely unique. And the uniqueness of that was the fact that it was the first time Charlotte had ever had a professional franchise. And when you when you're first time having a franchise, a professional franchise, seeing NBA players up close and personal, I mean uh, people came people came in Charlotte more so not really to see view basketball, but they came more as like almost like a cocktail party. You see the same thing happening right now in New Orleans when the uh, New Orleans Hornets went to Oklahoma uh, and they played there for a year after the tr- Katrina disaster. It was a it was a social setting, a social gathering, and it became more than basketball. And uh, when when that happened, uh, you know, people came really to see the team. So you had the uniqueness of it being the first professional franchise uh, in uh, North Carolina uh, in a uh, a stable situation. Well, they had some uh, ABA teams, but those ABA teams played in three different cities. They played in Charlotte. They played in uh, Greensboro and Raleigh, and it was the Carolina Cougars that back during the 70s. But this is the first professional team that had been based and locked in one particular city in North Carolina, so people came out in groves more so, not necessarily. I don't think to see the basketball because it wasn't that good, but it was more so early on was just really to be involved and see NBA players up close and personal. Hmm. That's interesting because uh, I actually I hadn't thought of it that way, but I had a whole different perspective because when uh, he was doing when he when Bob, he meaning Bob Johnson when Bob Johnson came to Charlotte and was uh, promoting the team and the arena and was having uh, receptions and um, showing a model. I think they had a model of what the arena was going to look like and all the. Uh, bells and whistles, uh, what was going to make it unique and different. It was more, um, it was so businesslike that I don't think that, you know, the fans were able to warm up to the ideals. So that's why I was saying he didn't know how to market or promote, you know, the team that was coming. Because when, when the Hornets came, they, you know, it was ticker tape parades and there was more of a hoopla and I understand it being unique and being the first, but but the hoopla that surrounded it brought everybody in. Yeah, well, the hoopla, again, was basically one thing. <laughs> it was about being there for the first time, being in that particular building, being in a setting to have an NBA team. I think his strategy to market the team was, was a sound one. He tried to go out. He got business leaders, civic leaders. He brought people in that, you know, tried to – you know, give color to the franchise. He he brought minorities in. He did some of the right things, but then again, it was more so about selling the building. I think it was flawed from the beginning in the sense that, that I said before, they just did not let the team get a separation because once they went back out to the old Charlotte Coliseum, when people start thinking about the old Charlotte Hornets, instead of waiting for one year and getting the uh. new Charlotte Bobcats, so there was never a separation between one and the other. I think that was the biggest flaw in what they did as a franchise and as a team. And commenting on something being late, too, the other thing that I think was on the delay that would have helped uh, the Bobcats, too, was Michael Jordan. If Jack Michael Jordan would have made the decision to be associated with the team early on versus later, 
um, I think that would have helped with the promotion of the uh, team in Charlotte. Well, I, I don't think it would have, and the reason I say that is because it's not, you know, you're not seeing Michael Jordan on the court anymore. You know, you, you're not if you're trying to sell Michael Jordan, the president of the comp- company, you're going you're going about it the wrong way. If Michael Jordan was there as a coach, then you say, well, that might be a possibility. But if you're selling Michael Jordan as a GM or as a president, it does not make you know he's not changing how they play every day. Then you already are are in a situation where you're going the wrong way. I agree. It's great to have him tied up with franchise. I think that's wonderful. But again, what you have to sell are the players who they're playing at that particular time. Uh, your franchise is based on those guys, Alvin, Alvin Morrison, that they end up signing him. Uh, they got a couple Carolina players, uh, Sean May, uh, they bought him in. But overall, I think just that so far that the chemistry of their basketball team has not gelled and people have not warmed up to it. Uh, Jason Richardson came in. I think Michael Jordan made a great acquisition this year of getting Jason Richardson in a trade from Golden State. He averaged a lot of points. But this team has to really let – they have to let this team grow. And the biggest thing about Charlotte, and just like Atlanta, is that you have to have generational fans now. And generational fans are fans that, you know, your your dad took you and his dad <laughs> took him and, and, and going down the line. That's how you get generational fans. There are transplants right now in Charlotte and in Atlanta. Atlanta about – Ten years ago, had about two million people. Right now, it has about six million people. So you had a lot of implants that have, have come in, and they don't have allegiances to the teams that are there. And it's very similar in Charlotte. Not the mass numbers, but the numbers of the way it's grown has changed in, in those dynamics. Hmm, that's interesting you say that. But you know, I going back to the point you were making about Michael Jordan. I was thinking that his name alone would bring the hoopla. In the aura, you know, of Michael Jordan is associated with team, and you know, people uh, somehow, even though he's the general manager, hope to be able to spot him, you know, in do the what? They, 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 they see what? They see him in the stands, and they do what? They go okay, but at the end, they go look at him. But it's about the product you put on the floor. You're not going to have Michael Jordan there as a player. And if you try to tie in to what somebody used to do, if even if you brought Michael Jordan in as a player, okay, that's a different thing. If you brought him in as a, as a coach, that's a different thing. But if you bring him in as a front office person, that and you're trying to sell tickets because Michael Jordan is in your front office, that doesn't work <laughs> because Michael Jordan so far has not been that kind of front-running person, that, that person that you look at and go, okay, this is where we're going. This is Michael well, see, Jordan that- making decisions. See, that was a, the impression that I got that the reason that Bob Johnson wanted him with his organization. Because if I, you know, I, on the outside looking in, and I don't know how true this is, but um, when uh, he first approached Michael Jordan regarding uh, uh, being, and I don't even know what position he, he approached him with, Michael Jordan was not interested at all. And it to me, it sounded like, you know, whatever it took to get Michael Jordan in, we just want – I don't know, but I got the impression that Bob Johnson just wanted Michael Jordan's name associated with his team. Michael Jordan, yeah. i.e. Yeah. North, Carol, North Carolina. I got a North Carolina team. One plus one equals two. <laughs> let's well, let's make it happen. Well, if you're looking like that, you're going wrong. I think that what will happen, you'll have a greater impact with Larry Brown 
as the head coach of that team because, again, you see him in day-to-day operations. Every time that team sets foot on the floor, uh, from a standpoint of coaching, I think he brings credibility. Here's a guy who's won a championship, who's been involved in North Carolina basketball for a long period of his life, uh, a Hall of Famer in the coaching ranks, and a damn good coach. So you're going to have a bigger impact you know, in that way. If you brought Michael Jordan in as a coach, then, you know, it would be completely different. Now, that that statement I have to totally agree with because I think uh, Larry Brown, just like you said, is going to be a great asset to the the Boston Celtics, to the um, um, Charlotte Bobcats. And uh, I'm looking forward to seeing what they do next year as a team. And you were talking about naming five people on the Hornets team. I don't think I could name the starting five on the uh, Charlotte Bobcat team. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and and that is that's the problem. Is Ogleford still there? Ogleford. Oh, what I can pronounce his name? Yeah, Ogleford is still there. Mecca Ogleford is still there. Okay, that's. Uh, he is. He's probably he was the second pick in the draft a couple of years ago behind Dwight Howard. But, uh, you know, you just look at it from a talent standpoint. Here's a team that's going to struggle with their identity. They're trying to find ways to, you know, get involved and go go on. Uh, Ms. Pearson, my phone is uh, beeping right now. I'm about okay. to lose my, my well, battery. We're all... Okay. Okay. It was ending anyway. I greatly okay. appreciate it. Thanks uh, again. Thank you very much. I appreciate it. Thank you. Have a all great right, evening. Bye-bye. And uh, thank you all for listening to Care Alive. Check us out each week at um, um, Blog Talk Radio backslash Care Alive. The number here is 347-945-7415. And, again, we're on each week, Wednesdays at 9 p.m. Eastern until 10 o'clock. Feel free to check out the website. And we look forward to um, next week's conversation. And uh, thanks again for listening to Kara Live.